totally, totally changes people's perception. And so the fight was really to kind of redress that and to bring the form to those tables. Named after the Greek goddess of dance and chorus, and also an allusion to historian Sally Baines' seminal book on postmodern dance, Terpsichore and Sneakers, Terpsichore is a platform celebrating female dancers, choreographers, and bodies in motion, curated by me, dance critic and writer Emily May. Posting information, images, and videos of female dance pioneers, both past and present, on a daily basis on our Instagram account, Terpsichore has now started its very own podcast, where I will be interviewing leading women from the dance industry about their lives, careers, and the female artists that have inspired them. I'm delighted to welcome Beverly Glean, MBE, to the podcast, who has been championing African and Caribbean dance in the United Kingdom for over 20 years. Having founded Irie Dance Theatre as a touring company back in 1985, she has more recently been focused on working in communities, schools and higher education, undertaking extensive research into how to make university courses in dance more diverse, and founding Irie's BA Ons Diverse Dance Styles course, the first of its kind in Europe. I couldn't wait to talk to her about everything she's achieved, and what she thinks is still to be done for African and Caribbean dance in the UK. Well, hi, Beverly. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Terpsichore podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. And thank you for asking me. I wanted to start at the very beginning, then ask you what your first experience of dance was and how you became interested in the art form. Well, my first experience of dance, well, as a Caribbean child, there was dance in my house. So just from a social perspective, you know, we kind of celebrated lots of things with dancing. As a child, even when you weren't allowed to stay up late to parties and things like that, you always had um, a view of watching your parents, your aunts and your uncle dancing their way through, through the night. So just in terms of kind of socially, there was always dance there. I think my experience of dance in school was also a very, very positive one. You know, at the time when there were lots of teachers who were Laban educated and were in, in just general schools and they would dance clubs and sports and things like that was kind of a part of your school curriculum and I was part of the the school's dance group which again kind of exposed me to to quite a lot in terms of what you could do with dance just in terms of a career pathway. I mean having said that I don't think that at the time I sort of considered that it was a, a viable career pathway. I do think at the time it was something that I really enjoyed very much. I took to quite naturally. And yes, and it was, it was fun, fun to do. So what was that transition from viewing dance as something social and just enjoyable to seeing it as something that could possibly be a career? Or was that something that kind of happened gradually over time? It's um, partly both, actually. Partly happened gradually. I think that an introduction to dance formally, that kind of really happened when it was suggested. I trained at Laban to do a degree for three years, which I found quite incredible, actually, that people 
could go to university and train in dance and just dance all day and kind of hopefully at the end of it have something that would kind of help them to develop a viable career for themselves. But I think that because we had these teachers who had come through dance institutions, I think that they were really open and very excited about their experience and kind of wanted the young people they were working with to share that experience too. Because initially, my whole thing was about becoming a a teacher, but in sports. And so at the time, I had no idea you could train in dance. And it was really about sports for me. But of course, you know, my teacher said, well, no, no, the the Laban Centre at the time had just moved from Adelston down to inner city Lewisham. (laughs) They had space at the Goldsmith University. It just seemed a really good fit at the time. So I auditioned and and got through. I'm really interested because I also trained at Laban four or five years ago now. But I'm interested what your experience was like. What was the training like when you attended? Well, I loved my training at Laban. I really did. I do think just in terms of all of the, the stuff that I know now that I didn't get, I felt that was a good experience because it really allowed me to see what was kind of missing for somebody like me, who within my training at Laban, it was very clear that I wouldn't be going into any contemporary dance company anytime soon. But I loved the training because I think actually I didn't really know any different. But but I also think one thing that Laban gave me and I always hold on to was that the diversity of training within contemporary dance, which kind of had very little to do with black dance or my culture but it had to do with the broader perspective of dance seen from a kind of very Eurocentric landscape and so we had all sorts of different people coming in and working with us so we kind of looked at things like contact improvisation and jazz and there's a real varied program of dance that you could explore. That's great and we'll talk a little bit more later about diversity in dance education because I know that you've done a lot of work and research in that area. But first I just wanted to ask you about founding Irie Dance Theatre in 1985 and whether you could tell me a little bit about what the perception of or landscape for African and Caribbean dance styles was like at that time and how you wanted to change it. Oh gosh, the landscape at the time was in terms of any kind of experience or training or knowledge of African and Caribbean dance was incredibly limited. And I think that, you know, I kind of understood that from very early on, especially after graduating from Laban in in, the eight, in 1980 and kind of realising that there really wasn't a route for me career-wise because there was very, very little happening in cultural diversity when it came to dance. So actually with my, my training at Laban and my kind of understanding and enjoyment of the dances that I did. And of course, music had a huge part to do with that. I could actually take the best of both things and kind of fuse them together and deliver community dance classes, which I framed as African and Caribbean dance. And actually at the time, knowing very little formally about those forms. 
You mentioned this idea of fusing and I read in another interview that you did about you being a pioneer in what is now known as fusion choreography. And I was wondering what is it you find interesting about bringing together different elements of dances to create something new? And how do you go about it? If you're choreographing, for example, what's the choreographic process when drawing from different languages? I mean, it's lovely to hear that I'm, I'm seen as a pioneer. I think that's sort of kind of always reserved for people that have made an enormous impact or, or if somebody after they died. <laughs> I mean, when I consider it now in terms of what was available in the 80s in relation to what's available now, I do think that what we did at Irie was kind of very pioneering. I think for me, in terms of fusion, very early on, after I'd been to Jamaica and Cuba and Africa and to looking at those dance forms and undertaking training, I really realised that there was so much to offer in terms of the forms. And there were so many of our community in the UK, but actually they had no access to any of these forms, certainly not in its kind of historical context or its context within a viable art form. And so that was kind of really interesting to me. And also the fact that from a very social perspective, we had so much to tell in terms of our, our story and the diversity of our movement language. And so I really wanted to, to look at how we could start to fuse our voices in that way. I think that the forms at the time, I think even people that were practicing within black dance had no idea that the form could be used in that way. And I think after having to invite people from Africa and the Caribbean to the UK to support what it was we're trying to do in terms of exposing the style and the language. I think very slowly, the 80s leading up to now, there were kind of, you know, small changes that, that were happening. I wanted to ask if you could maybe describe some of the qualities and attributes or features of the African and Caribbean dance styles you work with, what the differences are, but also maybe some similarities with the Western contemporary forms, because I think it's quite interesting. As humans, we're all very ready to want to compartmentalise, but at the end of the day, we're all moving our bodies. Yeah, I mean, I think just in terms of the similarities, I think you kind of really have to look at things like performance quality. You have to look at how has the dance, is it communicating something to your audience, the value of it, the artistic element of, of the work. I think those things, I think as an artist, you kind of strive for across the board. In terms of, of differences, actually, you know, you're, you're looking at two opposites in terms of when you look at a contemporary dance, for example, on ballet in particular, you're looking at a form that is constantly reaching up, up to, to heaven, as it were, and also a form that is requested of you that you turn your body inside out. It's almost kind of trying to achieve the impossible. Whereas in the traditional forms, you're very grounded. The energy is coming from the earth up. You use every part of your body, which we kind of describe like sort of undulations and pulsations. So the hips are used, your torso, the undulation of the spine, and also the rhythm 
of your body and the, the whole connectivity of the music. I say connectivity, but actually the music is totally integral to the movement. And we work a lot with rhythmic sensitivities in terms of polyrhythms and fusion. So while there are very noticeable differences, I think the similarities really are just about kind of sharing the passion to want to be able to communicate artistically, socially, and really bring in in your audience to dance no matter where it sits on the landscape. Amazing. And talking about audiences, I read, and if I'm correct, that in the early days, Irie was a touring company. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about some of the pieces and repertoire that you created for Irie. Yeah, oh, those days. But we're, we're kind of looking to really revisit that again. And maybe if we talk a bit later on about our course, you'll see the kind of importance of having performance for people to be able to to see but yes we started off as a touring dance theatre company actually not realising how critical all of the other elements like working in the community like education and engaging with young people and elders would be for the work that we did but yeah the fusion was something that really interested me I think as well because the dancers we could engage to be in our companies you have to understand at the time actually had very there was no training for them in in African or Caribbean dance styles so in a way a lot of these dancers came to us because they shared the same vision if you like of being able to use their cultural experiences to perform so I think it was really important to create work that said something to the group of people you were working with and that if you were taking it to a particular community you knew and understood that they would be able to recognise themselves in, in the work that you were doing. So initially, I mean, the basis of our work was very Caribbean, still is orientated, but we kind of understand without Africa, there'd be no Caribbean. So we kind of look at how the two is fused together. But the work was very much focused around traditional Caribbean folk dances. And of course, a lot of those folk forms in terms of the music and the movement had been influenced by the more contemporary music like ska and reggae and raga. So all the styles that the young people in particular would, would recognise because it just made that part of their, their cultural framework. So it was important for us to do that. And it was also important to be able to demonstrate what the foundation of the dances were for Irie. So we did an entire suite, which we called Caribbean suite, of traditional folk dances. And gradually, as the work developed, we were able to show within more of a contemporary framework how these dances or how these influences has uh, seeped into our contemporary culture. Where were some of the places that you toured to? Were you showing to many audiences who may not have seen or engaged with any Caribbean dance at all? We were touring all over the country. Some, you know, beautiful, beautiful parts of England. In Cumbria, we had quite a long residency in part of the country. I think the other thing that was so crucial for us as well was in a number of the cities that had very diverse communities, kind of the inner cities, if you like, so it was in Liverpool, and Leeds and Manchester. So yes, yeah, so the work was taken right across the country. And yes, there were communities definitely that had not 
seen dance like this before and some were were really interested some might have been a little confused (laughs) but what we knew was that we were educating and giving communities who wouldn't normally have an opportunity to participate in something like that access to learn something new and diverse about the country they were living in and of course to our predominantly black communities a lot of young people in inner city we were bringing something to them like a positivity about themselves that they too had never seen before or even believed that something like that, a pathway like that was possible to be able to dance and and communicate artistically in that way. Because lately you've worked more and focused on work in schools and the community around London. Was realising that through performance that you could give this to people, was that a reason that you transitioned into more education? Totally, totally the reason because, you know, what we discovered and, it, and you know, and I say we discovered, but actually the audiences we were working with were asking it, in some cases demanding, that we, apart from the performance, we were able to go into their schools or into their community spaces so that the the young people or members of the community were able to engage on a more personal level. So, you know, they weren't just sitting in a proscenium arch watching what was going on on stage, but they could really engage with us as a performance company. So it wasn't only about the performance, but we could talk about the work that we were doing and they could actively get to listen to the drums and and learn some of the repertory and just engage in a really hands-on way. I think that for schools in particular, especially schools that had arts within the curriculum, dance in particular, and had a high population of young black kids, I think Again, for them, they found that as something that would be really beneficial and really engaging. Because, again, it was about kind of confidence building um, and allowing um, young people to be able to, to identify with, with areas of their culture that was kind of really positive and educational. I mean, we were only too willing to develop the work in that way to make it happen. And then as time has gone on, it became a bit more serious and we were kind of really looking at how we could really impact the curriculum. So it really wasn't just about us being parachuted in to do something really quick and out again, but we were really leaving some kind of legacy, if you like. And in terms of this legacy and trying to make a real impact, part of that is also in higher education. And I read about how you completed a research programme Uh, investigating the lack of diversity in dance degree programs in the UK. I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about this process of research and what you discovered. Well, that was our dance and diversity program. And even before I go on any more, I mean, it was myself and my colleague, Rosie Lehan, who in lots of ways, we actually both attended Laban together. And in lots of ways is kind of the person that kind of did this journey with me, actually. And, And I think it was really key because Rosie was in formal education or is still is in formal education and I think that being able to access certain room around certain tables and enabling the process to move further I think a lot of it may may not have happened or would happen very differently 
if she wasn't part of that process as well. But I think for us, going through up to the 90s really, we realised that a lot of the work that we were doing in schools and in further education institutions was engaging to the young people, but was really kind of stopping at our doorstep. And it really wasn't going any further. For example, we had a residency in a further education college that Rosie was teaching at the City of Nislington College, preparing young people who were studying dance to go on to higher education. A lot of the issues, the concerns we were getting from them when they'd sort of come back to visit was that because of the training they'd had with us, when they went on to higher education, they were quite keen to continue along those lines. So they were to bring into their studies elements of African and Caribbean dance fusion that actually their tutors, the universities, were not familiar with. So therefore they were discouraged from kind of moving on any further with their training. And that was a real frustration for them and actually became a real frustration for us too. And so it was kind of critical because we knew that we didn't have the weight behind us simply to go and say, well, I'm biblically married on to the attorney. We kind of want to address your issues around diversity (laughs) and joining. But actually that there was a level of work that needed to happen in order to move further. So we approached Nesta because we knew that any kind of research that had to be done it needed to be fairly substantial and so we kind of framed a program for dance and diversity we wanted to look at three areas a we wanted to look at what the barriers were why was it so difficult for African and Caribbean dance to sit within the curriculum in schools also we wanted to be able to to set up our own program we kind of designed a six-week program which included young people and teachers and artists and we wanted to to really use that as a catalyst to see what the benefits would be for young people and for teachers who were working in dance and finally it was about looking internationally to see what other people were doing and how it was working for them and then to kind of bring all of that information back and share it with the dance community to look at ways of including diversity within the dance program. I think when we started we thought that you know we're going to do it from the roots and build it up and it's all going to be wonderful but actually realised that really any change we had to make needed to come from above where the, the policies were being made where academia was kind of happening. We really needed to look at it through those lenses. And yes, so that was very, very interesting, particularly the areas when we brought the group together. What we did, we created a curriculum which looked at traditional African dance, traditional African dances. And, and at the time, street and hip hop was kind of a, you know growing as well within our community. So we looked at elements of that and creativity where the young people could use what they knew, what they were bringing to their classrooms, but their teachers couldn't work with because the teachers weren't aware of what was happening in dance socially for these young people. We conducted that piece of research and kind of made a film of it with all of the findings, along with the more detailed research talking to universities and colleges about why it was important to kind of diversify and develop their programme in a way that benefited the widest community. I read 
Again, in another interview, you said that the issue for diverse dance styles and African and Caribbean dance styles is that it's not seen as a viable form with technique and discourse to be studied academically. And I was wondering where you think this misconception comes from or this attitude comes from and, and how it can maybe be changed. I mean, there are lots of reasons uh, as to why. I think that, you know, kind of looking at it at its absolute most fundamental, you're talking about race. You're looking at working with an environment that holds a particular dance form, a particular dance style as the upper echelon of dance. And actually, it's not open to seeing anything different. I think for us, one of the things that we discovered in the research, especially when we asked the questions about, well, why did institutions believe that this wasn't a viable way forward. The kind of feedback of people are, well, who would want to do training in forms like this? Or there is not enough discourse, or there are not enough people trained to do the work. The fact is that all of those things are there. It's just that nobody is looking for them. Yeah, so there was a, a kind of a train of thought that this work wasn't worthy of being seen as art. I think the other thing that was a, a bit of a challenge as well was we think about the dance companies that we had forming at the time. We had a Jido with the Pan-African Dance Theatre Company. We had Kakuma that was based in Birmingham. But the startup for a lot of those companies was not based around funding in the arts. They were really based around funding, which was about employment or social cohesion or community cohesion. So they were never placed alongside artistic and creativity. It was really based alongside social unrest or, or things that had to be given to a particular community in order to kind of just really keep them focused. <laughs> That's so interesting, just thinking that where the money's coming from and the purpose of it changes people's perception. Totally, totally yeah. changes people's perception. And so the fight was really to kind of redress that and to bring the form to those tables. I mean, having said that, you know, there were also many kind of academics that were frustrated by the fact that, you know, there was so little done for the development of black dance. But, you know, as I say, nobody was demanding it at the time. There was really, you know, no need to shake up the status quo. But then off the back of that research, you founded the first foundation degree in dance and diverse styles and now the first a BA Ons in Diverse Dance Styles, which is the first of its kind in Europe. It was quite it was amazing, actually, to have, especially for the, the course, because initially we started with what we called a diploma. We started with a diploma in African and Caribbean dance, and that was validated by Burpet University. And I think in a way, we were way, way before our time, even though there wasn't much before us. But I think that what was really telling about that was when we were looking to get the programme funded, the Arts Council at the time, this was in the sort of the, the late 90s, felt that this was such a critical piece of work for development of dance in the UK, looking at it from that creative perspective and what we would be able to bring out of all of that. They actually funded the programme because they believed that it was something 
that would really benefit the arts going forward. So that was quite amazing. And then obviously after that, Rosie and I undertook the Dance and Diversity programme. And in fact, I think we had just come back from... Jamaica, when we were doing the kind of international part of it. And at that time, the government were looking at the viability of partnership in the arts so that a further education college, higher education university and a business in the arts could actually work together and we could start to look at how the education could link with the arts and maybe at its best create employment at the end of the of three years. So we were asked, you know, would you write a foundation degree? And of course we jump, <laughs> we jumped to it. And then that all started in 2008. But as that programme was being developed, again, the foundation degree was two years. And then our students had to go to higher education to complete their degree. And the same issues we were having back in the day in terms of um, discourse and people qualified to teach it, it just came back to revisit us again. And the students were saying, you need to write a third year. We, this is not working for us. You need to write that third year. So then we approached a number of universities who was really keen to sort of develop the diversity within their, in their programme. And we were very lucky in that we put it out there and the response back was quite incredible. And we were left in this position where we then had to think about, oh my God, who should we go with? And in the end, we worked with the University of Roehampton. It's been a great, great partnership. And so the BA course was, was born. Again, that started in 2018. So we're kind of at our third year in. And more and more, we're getting more people inquiring and uh, interested in the course. So sort of slowly, we're beginning to make, to make an impact. And I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about how it differs from other dance degree programmes in the UK, or maybe what an outline of the curriculum is. What does an average day training look like? The degree presents traditional African dance, Caribbean folk dance, contemporary dance, and hip hop equally. So you get to study the dance techniques, also choreography and performance, which are all supported as part of the cultural context, the, the theory of, of each style. Every day is slightly different for each year. So for example, in, in year one, it gives a solid foundation. So you get to understand the demands of the training, both in African and Caribbean dance classes, we have live drummers. So we, it's a case of trying to make the sessions as authentic as possible, even though it's been delivered here in the UK. In addition, there are ballet classes and Pilates, and we cover information on health, fitness and injury prevention in much the same way that sort of any dance course would when you're, you're looking to inform potential dancers about kind of making sure that they are able to stay healthy through their career. In year two, we, we actually build on that foundation where repertory is introduced. So then we start to look at companies and individual artists. So 
For example, we would look, say, maybe at the the National Dance Theatre of Jamaica or Gregory Macoma. And then we kind of introduce that site-specific work. So it's kind of about introducing them to the fact that dance doesn't always have to be on a proscenium arch, that dance can happen in lots of different non-conventional spaces. For us in Year 3, we really focus on employment because we want them to be able to kind of start to plot a route at that time just in terms of where it is they believe their skills and talents lie so in year three we look at um, three particular pathways which is uh, performance education and arts management the students they are asked to develop an online portfolio alongside creating an independent project which is something that has meaning to them in year three we also invite the sector in so they're able to work with and engage with and listen to people that are out there in the sector and so also the, the students are encouraged to attend networking events for example you know we're partnered with the regeneration international conference with one dance uk and the students often either volunteer or we encourage them to attend the conference and that way they can start to look more globally at what's happening in dance and really get a sense of how their training is able to benefit them. So it's a pretty, I mean, exciting course. It's a pretty full-on course as well. And we're just at the beginning. And you mentioned at the beginning when we started talking about the touring company that you were looking to maybe revisit this. Is this because you're now having people come through this BA programme and then looking for places that they can use these skills and knowledge that they've developed? Absolutely. I think the face of black dance, dance of the African diaspora, African people's dance, how, however one might choose to describe the form, has really changed quite dramatically over the years. And we have very few companies, that actually if any, companies left from that time that are kind of practising the form. I think what we have discovered is that, you know, the, the forms are developing and they kind of develop in very different ways. But what we don't have, and I, and in a way, I don't think that's something that's sort of particular to African and Caribbean dance forms, because I just think the dance landscape has changed. However, when you're kind of bottom of the chain for the sector, it does have a really dangerous impact. If you are then developing education programs, if you are challenging the training, if you're challenging academia, and then there is nothing tangible, if you like, you know, apart from you kind of get a degree at the end of it, but there is nothing to show at the end of all of this, this is what you kind of might end up with. There is space for you to be part of a performance company or to be delivering part of an education program or for you to be part of a touring administrative team. I think it's going to be critical. That's got got to be our next mission, really, to revisit a performance company so that there is a route, you know, there is an end to what students or people training within the form might uh, move on to. Obviously, there are still so many challenges, but is there anyone 
else or any other practitioners out there that you really admire or that are causing positive shifts in terms of spreading African and Caribbean dance styles? I think there are people like Alexandra Sutan, who has now become, I think it's one of the directors of the Jemena Cogni School in, in Senegal. And she's doing some great work with institutions in the UK as well. We have Vicky Abukwe, who is doing stuff for her piece, The Head Wrap Diaries. But then there are lots of individuals as well that are working in education that are sort of bringing the form to the front. There is a push for the arts and creativity for people working in the form to be funded to be able to create work. The other thing that's sort of happening alongside that is that we, over the last few years, we have really come a long way in terms of our British perspective on African and Caribbean dance, or as I'd like to say, the African and Caribbean dance as practiced in the UK because we have many more doctors now. We have several doctors of dance and you wouldn't imagine that 10 years ago. So we have people that are studying the form at a doctorate level and many, many more young people who are kind of engaging and looking at areas of the form for their MAs. And there are much more young people who are part of that whole debate and discussion because at the end of the day it is much broader than academia and all that. it really is you know society and how it's able to make an impact for the best amazing so many glimmers of hope you know when you're in it when you're in the thick of it you kind of don't realize all of the things that are being achieved because you're so busy fighting your corner you're saying this is all so slow we need it to move faster but also the process itself is slow. You know, I mean, how long does it take to do a doctorate, for goodness sake? So I just think it, things are happening and naturally not fast enough as I'd like it to. But, you know, things are happening. They may be happening slightly differently because I do think the academic element of it has stepped up now while the creativity and the artistic stuff has been dumbed down in a way because of shortage of funding and, and all the rest of it. But I think it will, it will come, it will come around because it, it has to. Amazing. Well, Beverly, I have one last question for you, which I ask everybody on the podcast, which is because Terpsichore is focusing on leading women from the dance industry. If you could meet and talk to any female dance practitioner from history, dead or alive, who might it be and why? Well, for me, it would have to be Pearl Primus because I see a lot of what I am doing in what she was pushing for in the sort of 30s, 40s and so on. She was dubbed the grandmother of African-American dance. And I think that kind of the basis of her work was enabling people to see African dance as a viable art form and to take it seriously and to understand the very positive impact it could bring to, to society and to our communities. So yes, it would have to be... It would have to be Pearl. And I think if you kind of had to ask her, if I was able to be sitting at a table with her, I'd want to say, because for me, you know, there is a frustration because you're in it. I'd probably want to ask her, how are we doing? I'd want her to kind of have a look at where we're at and just say, you know, that, yeah, you're, you're doing okay. Well, amazing. Thank you so much, Beverly. That was an amazing chat. No problem at all. Thank you again for asking me. Mm -hmm.
I hope you enjoyed the fifth episode of the Terpsichore podcast with the amazing Beverly Gleam. If you would like to find out more about Beverly's work or the BA ONS Diverse Dance Styles course, head over to the Irie Dance Theatre website, www.iriedancetheatre.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as it helps other people to find us. You can also follow Terpsichore Mag on Instagram, or sign up to our newsletter via our website, www.terpsichore-mag.com. Thanks so much again for listening to the Terpsichore Podcast, with me, Emily May.